Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited for today's episode with the one and only Steve Weatherford. Steve is a Super Bowl champion. He was deemed the fittest man in the NFL, which considering how elite those pro athletes are is quite a feat. I actually worked out with him and was sore for the next uh, three, four days, and uh, it was one of the toughest workouts I've ever done. But the man is an absolute beast, probably the fittest person I've ever encountered, and this in a father of five, who's also extremely dedicated to his family. And in this episode, we delve deeply into his mindset, his morning routine, and overall his both physical practices as well as mental uh, approach in terms of elite performance. So I hope you find it as compelling as I did. Uh, I really have a, a huge amount of respect for Steve. He's, he's an all-around great guy and has become a friend, and uh, I can't wait to share this with you. I also want to shout out and thank our sponsors, uh, Kettle and Fire, I've been using to rebuild my gut. It's uh, an incredible quality bone broth. I reached out to a friend of mine, John Durant, who's a real expert in the space, and asked which is the best bone broth company, and he said, you know, Kettle and Fire is, uh, is phenomenal. Uh, I've been using it, and it helps to repair gut lining in terms of gut permeability. I had done a test and discovered that I had some, uh, some gut permeability, which most of us, unfortunately, due to the amount of glyphosate that's used in food products, uh, do. And it's incredible. It's great for your skin uh, in terms of collagen production. Um, I highly recommend it. It's been uh, of great service to me. And you can get a 20% discount as a Peak Mind listener by uh, putting in Peak Mind at checkout. It's also linked below in the show notes. So check them out. This episode is also sponsored by Foria Wellness. Foria is an incredible company that I've been a fan of actually for a number of years, started by my friend Matthew Gerson. And what I love about it is they have extraordinarily high-quality CBD products, which I use. It's an anti-inflammatory, um, anti-anxiety. I use it as part of my daily, daily wellness routine. And their basics product is amazing because it's, uh, it's got this super high-quality CBD. They're, they're absolutely committed to purity. It's third-party tested, all organic. Um, they use organic MCT oil as their base which as many as you, many of you may know, MCT oil is actually really good for your brain. And I find that the quality of the product is unparalleled. There's a lot of CBD out there that's, you know, an isolate. Um, hemp is actually a bioaccumulator. So, you know, if it's grown in toxic soil, it's really not good to consume. So what I love about Foria is they're relentlessly committed to quality. And I've found great results in including their daily basics CBD blend in my routine. And if you go to Foria and put in Peak, you will also get 20% off of your order, which is, uh, which is a big deal. So check them out. I'll also link them below in the show notes. And it's with great pleasure that I get to introduce to you the one and only Steve Weatherford. Steve Weatherford, the one and only. Thank you, Steve, for agreeing. It's good to, to be here, uh, man. <laughs> Let me turn this around. Have me at your uh, in your fine office. I appreciate it. My pleasure. We just had a uh, killer workout. I uh, now know the uh, meaning of legs. <laughs> <laughs> it's Monday, man. That's, Monday. Why you, that's why you get it in on a Monday because it's the hardest workout. And the I mean that's my attitude in life in general, man. Yeah. Hit, hit Monday running. I like that. Yeah. What do you? I mean, so context, uh, Super Bowl champion, um, I think even more context, started life out, or at least your, your early, early adolescence at 108 pounds. Mm -hmm. How does one get from, uh, give me just a little bit of the journey, how did you get from 108 pounds in, in I'm guessing, middle school, high school to mm -hmm. Super Bowl champion in terms of like what were the key aspects of your mindset mm -hmm. um, that really set you up? For that journey? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's, it's goal setting, awareness, and the willingness to do things that other people aren't willing to do. So, 
Um, you know, when I say self-awareness, that means, you know, being genuine with yourself and, and identifying the areas of your life, whether they're physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, that need to change in order for you to make your ascent. Um, and for me, it was, you know, my, I mentally was, was really strong and, and motivated, but I needed to be able to kind of take that mindset and, and that hyper-aggressive mentality because I might have been 108 pounds, but in my mind, I was an alpha male. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't matter what, uh, what other people saw physically. I was an alpha male, and, uh, and I just needed to change my body's ability to be explosive and powerful. Um, and so it was a lot tougher at that point to be able to find the, the information or the training programs or the nutritional content to be able to change my physiological makeup. Um, so I had to go to the library and it was a lot of long hours, you know, reading books and, and kind of guinea picking different nutritional plans or training plans for me to be able to change my body, to be able to kind of like match my mind, you know, cause I was, I've always been, uh, extremely confident and I've always believed in myself, but, um, probably overconfident in my ability. Um, but once my physical competency met my my mental competency that's when I feel like you really achieve achieve greatness so a lot of long hours early mornings late nights and uh, and a lot of sacrifices made but it enabled me to to live my dream and now you know after 10 years in the National Football League a Super Bowl um, you know I'm at the point in my life where I'm pursuing what I'm truly truly passionate in and that's motivating and inspiring people and a little bit of it is in, in health and wellness, but really it's, it's mindset very similar to what you're doing uh, with peak, peak Mindset and just teaching people and showing people how capable they truly can, can be in life. And it doesn't, because uh, it's easy to look at the TV and all these other people that are doing amazing things and think, you know, make excuses for yourself while you're not doing it, mm -hmm. uh, but we're all capable of it. Yeah, what would you say... I totally agree, but there is a, and I'm sure you've seen this in life, there's a fundamental difference between those who have, like you said, you had a, you had a vision, if you will, you had, you had a, a notion of yourself that didn't really meet your physical reality, but you mm -hmm. up-leveled your physical reality to meet mm -hmm. your mindset. Right. What do you see as the sort of the key distinctions or behaviors that are, that are core to how you show up that other people could apply in their own lives to, to really be consistent, to, to mm -hmm. up-level? Yeah, I mean, you said it. It's consistency. You know, I mean, consistency is going to be intensity every single time. You know, you can't just come in into a work setting or the weight room or wherever your place of competition is and be the hardest worker and expect, like, it to happen overnight. You know, I mean, we're talking from 14 years old to I'm sitting right here, 34 years old. That's 20 years. Um, and I still am far from being where I want to be. However, physically, I've made incredible strides of going from 108 pounds to, you know, that was in 1997, and in 2011, I was named the fittest man in pro sports by Muscle and Fitness and being on a magazine cover. So to go from like the skinniest kid to being considered the fittest man in pro sports where literally, you know, they are the best of the best genetics. Yeah. Um, and so um, I'm kind of taking that mindset, that uh, willingness to always be the hardest worker in the room and applying that into a totally different arena um, in health and wellness and not just maximizing my human potential, but helping other people to do the same thing. So it's, it's exciting. I, I love that. I, I have a kind of a question. Maybe it's two, actually two separate questions, but as you which you are totally inspirational. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm guessing you have good genes, but it occurs to me based on our conversation earlier at the gym that you took what you had and, you know, while there are others who may even have, you know, you know, they can eat whatever they want and still sort of maintain that mm -hmm. sort of um, shredded physique. You came in and you put in, you were the hardest worker in the room. Mm -hmm. 
Um, for those who are maybe listening that are, I just came back from Chicago, right? I mean, they're now, um, they actually are increasing the public transportation seats because obesity is becoming an epidemic. There's now more obese people on the planet than non-obese people. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in a shame way about how you look, but actually around the sort of health epidemic that we're facing. Yeah. How, do you, how do you motivate someone who, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure you'd have potentially different counsel or maybe not for someone who's, you know, at the one, you know, in, in the top 1% of, of health and fitness and wants to get to that next level. But for the everyday average person who's like really struggling, maybe has 10, 20 extra pounds on, um, just is really affecting their mindset in terms of just like depression, anxiety, obviously research is showing that so that's much more epidemic as well. What do you say to sort of encourage people to, to even take those first steps to, to start, start on a new path? I mean, leveling up is leveling up. It doesn't matter if you're in the 1% and you want to get to the 1% or the 1% or if you're 100 pounds overweight. The formula for leveling up is exactly the same. Mm. Um, It requires the same investment of of time, energy, um, planning, consistency, because in order to make any changes in your life, it's, it's the cliche... Um, saying, you know, if you want to get what you've never gotten, you've got to do what you've never done. So, you know, regardless, if you're in the top 1% of fitness professionals in the world and you want to get to the top 1% of the 1%, that formula is going to be the same as somebody who, you know, who is pre-diabetic, 80 pounds overweight, um, high blood pressure, that formula that is going to get them to being a healthier body weight you know, getting rid of all of the physical ailments because of all the extra weight that they're carrying on and, and all the extra workload that that puts on their cardiovascular system. Um, it's the same, you know, it just, it seems like it's so much more intimidating for the person who um, has never tried to do that before. You know, you still have to identify your vision. You still have to set goals. You still have to create a plan and you still have to execute the plan the same way the you know, the person that's considered one of the best athletes in the world uh, wants to be one of the best athletes that's ever lived. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's intimidating and it's um, overwhelming for someone who feels like I'm right here and there's so many things that have to happen in between here and getting here. But it's the it's the same thing for you that it is for me that it is for somebody else who's never worked out before. Right. What do you? What's your? Because this was actually what struck me most when I first was introduced to you. Which can you kind of take us through? Maybe not your average day, but like what's what's on maybe a morning routine? Like what time? What time does the day start for you? It's all different for me because my you know as an entrepreneur, I'm still learning time management because I went through my entire life having. A parent tell me uh, when to go, what to go, how to do, and then as from a parent to a coach, and then I pretty much had a coach calling the shots for me, you know, from age five up until I'm almost 35. So that's almost 30 years being an athlete and having my schedule predetermined for me. And now as an entrepreneur um, and, a, you know, a fitness professional, I've got to do it all myself. And, and that's been a struggle for me. And it's required a whole lot more time for me to to spend in planning because I've never had to spend time in planning before. Usually, the only planning that I did for myself when I was a professional athlete was my off-season training. I would uh, create my own training programs for myself because that was a passion of mine. And you know, not to say I knew more than uh, the the Giants' strength and conditioning coach, but I knew my body better than they knew my body. And I thought the training that I was doing needed to be a little bit more specific than the training program that a linebacker was doing or a quarterback was doing or a defensive lineman was doing. So I created my own programs and that's really the only planning that I've done for myself up until this point, aside from chasing goals. So um, I spend probably 45 minutes every single Sunday night planning out my entire week. And then I spend about 15 minutes every night during the week reviewing how my day went today you know, what did I get done that I needed to get done? What goals did I hit that I needed to hit? And then from there, you know, manipulate the plan for the next day. So there, if there's something that I completed today that I was planning on working on tomorrow, but there were things that I didn't get done today that I, you know, I've got to push that on to the next day. So that's why Mondays for me 
are super, super important because that's how I kind of create the momentum for the rest of my week. If I can crush Monday, it's all downhill from there. And you set it up on Sunday, I'm guessing. Right. So Sunday night is, is I spend anywhere from about 35 minutes to one hour planning it out every single day. And then, you know, as you know, life happens. I've got four kids. There's a lot of different variables that pop up. Kids get sick, um, this, that, the other. Um, you know, I might get a call from a TV network that needs me to come in to talk about a current event. Um, so my schedule gets screwed up from time to time. However, when you have that kind of baseline for what your goals are for that week, and it, it's not just a to-do list, it's also goals as well. When you have that baseline, it enables you to optimize the 24 hours that you have in a day. So it's like, to me, it's really frustrating when people will tweet you or send you a DM or a Facebook message and and say, well, it's really easy for you because you get paid to work out. No, I don't get paid to work out. You know what I mean? I do this because this is part of my routine. You know, the same way that somebody might do yoga as part of their meditation or their hobby or they they shop or they go hunting or fishing or golfing. I don't do that. I don't have time for that. But the time that I do have for myself, my therapy is, is getting into the gym at six o'clock in the morning. And, and that's my anchor. That's what anchors my life. When I can get in there and I can get it in early and get that sense of accomplishment, that euphoric rush, I know I'm going to beat the rest of my day. Mm. So, you know, the, the worst days that I have are when I can't get into the gym until like 10 o'clock. Because I'm going to get it in regardless. But, you know, let's say I've got to go in and, and I've got to fill in and, and co-host a TV show in the morning. And that starts at 6 a.m. You know, I'll do it at a half if I have to work out at 4 o'clock in the morning. But... It's tough, you know, so, <laughs> you know, you get in there at six and you're, you know, you get out of the office at like 10 o'clock and then you've got the rest of the stuff you have planned for the day. And then I don't get into the, the gym until 10 o'clock that that's tough, but I'm going to get it in. But I've, I've noticed a trend of the most efficient days that I have in my life. I've never had a bad day when I can get into the gym early yeah. five or six o'clock in the morning. And I'm just able to handle the adversity for the day so much better. Yeah, there, I did a, a bunch of research um, when I found out my dad was diagnosed with dementia, both on brain and the si- kind of science behind the brain, but also around the habits of those who are operating um, at, the, at their peak mm-hmm. and unequivocally. I don't even think exercise. I'm operating on my peak yet. I'm just operating more more closer to my peak than maybe you know, the majority of other people. Well, I think what's inspiring is obviously to, to me is that you've, you've operated at the highest level of your chosen profession, mm-hmm. which you chose into, right? You had a dream, which was to play in the NFL at the highest level. You did. Mm-hmm. You won the Super Bowl, which, uh, I mean, for most of America is a religion, football. So mm-hmm. that, that's a dream many of us can only imagine. But what I, what I admire about you also is, all that said, you also are a father of four children, in my conversations with you, that's been of paramount importance to you. I think a lot of people forget that as well. I mean, you're 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 a family man, uh, mm-hmm. a family man first, which I really resonates with me. Um, and you're prioritizing time with your family, um, and the way that you operate and make all that happen is you are crushing it in the morning, which mm-hmm. which most people right. that, that I, at least from the research I've done. Um, have significant morning routines, so I'm inspired by that. Are there, are there other elements aside from, say, the workout, whether it be nutrition, meditation, any mindset exercises that you do to help set yourself up as well? Yeah, you know, I mean, um, I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I do, like most people, is brush my teeth. You know, and and I have a quote written on on my um, my mirror in my bathroom, and um, and it's a quote by Steve Prefontaine to. To give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. I read that every single morning. I spit out the toothpaste and then I say three things that I'm grateful for. And they could be really silly things. You know, it could be like, uh, you know, I'm thankful for peanut butter, a ceiling fan, and my wife. You know what I mean? Because I can't sleep without a fan. Because I'm, al- <laughs> I'm always hot. Uh-huh. And I think the reason I'm always hot is because my wife is really skinny and she weighs like 115 pounds. So she likes to keep the house warm. Mm. And I'll, if, if I didn't have a ceiling fan, I would just sweat while I sleep. And nobody likes to sleep while they're hot. So just simple things, you know, three things that you're thankful for. And I think that kind of puts your mind in the state of just being thankful in general. And so when you can start your day in a state of gratitude um, and read a quote that is 
impactful for you and, and something that will give you direction for the day, then, you know, another habit that I've always gotten into for probably about the last 18 months and people on social media really like it. I shared it a few times. I had been doing it for about six months and then I shared a few of them and I had a whole lot more requests. I call it my morning motivation. I put it on Snapchat and before I go to sleep, I will kind of write what I want to focus on for the next day. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll pull it up and read, read what my motivation was for this morning. Mm. Um, let's see. And for people who are, they can follow you at Weatherford 5? At Weatherford 5. So this was my, my morning motivation today. It says, don't hope, don't wish upon a star, don't buy into the BS. If it's meant to be, it will happen to me. Patience might be a virtue, but so is hard work. You can chase your dreams if you want, but last time I checked, life isn't a game of tag. Quit playing games, quit wishing, quit hoping, get serious about your goals, quit chasing your dreams, and playing patty cake with your future. Get dead serious, narrow your focus, eliminate distractions, start a new mindset, Stop chasing your dreams and start assaulting them. There is no time for games. Mm. So that's longer than what my normal morning motivation would be. But on Mondays, man, I like to come in hot. You, you know, come strong. Mondays are, are, you know, like I said earlier, the days for me to start my, my momentum. So that's another one of my um, daily routines. I'll write out my motivation for the next day before I go to sleep. And, and I read it to myself after I write it because that kind of subconsciously gives your mind something to work on when you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you read right before you go to sleep, whether you, it's kind of like watching a scary movie before you go to sleep, mm-hmm. it gives you nightmares because subconsciously you're, you're working on that. Right. So I read a quote, you know, it might be, it might be a quote or it might be something that I just write down that I want to motivate me the next morning and I let my mind subconsciously work on that while I'm sleeping. When I wake up in the morning, I'm hopeful that it will motivate me for the next day. And so I'll Snapchat that the first thing in the morning and, and send that out. And, and people have really kind of started to get in the routine of making that part of their morning mm-hmm. as they go to Snapchat. And I'm usually up before everybody else, so especially the people on the West Coast. So you know, if I'm up at you know five or six o'clock in the morning, the people in the, on the West Coast are going to have to be up really early to beat me. Yeah, no doubt. Do you find that people are starting to reply with their own? Like, have, have, has it been a practice that other people have adopted in their own lives? Oh, yeah. Saying? Like, I, I went to the Arnold Festival, um, which is, um, it's like an Arnold Sports Festival, which is, it, there's a bodybuilding show, but it's really become kind of like a health and wellness expo. And um, I couldn't tell you how many people I took selfies with this weekend that were like, dude, I love your morning motivation. And I had probably five or six people show me a folder that they have in their iPhone, which is all of my morning motivations and they'll screenshot them and then save them in a folder and like hundreds of, cause I've been doing it for over a year now, hundreds of more, my morning motivations are in a folder in their phone. Yeah. And for me to, to know that somebody will go with all of the content and all the influencers out there that somebody would go to the trouble to screenshot every single morning shows me that there's real value in that. And even if it's just one person does that, you know, not to say I'm changing their life, but I'm changing their life, you know? So that's uh, impactful for me. And that's really kind of what inspires me to to keep doing it because I, I mean, I don't get paid to do stuff like that. You know, you're not getting paid to do what you're doing right here, but there's fulfillment in that that's worth more than money. Let's, let's talk about that actually, because there were a couple things you actually touched in on the car ride over that really resonated with me about fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there's this the traditional societal um, norms in terms of doing well financially, um, you know, crushing it professionally, et cetera, but which, which are uh, totally worthwhile and fulfilling goals. But as someone who's very driven towards achieving success across your goals, what are, what do you find most fulfilling at the moment? Mm-hmm. And also what do you, I mean, it's also easy to, for us to only focus on our successes in areas or for others to just sort of, um, dote over other people's successes, but what are you finding most challenging right now? Uh, time management, you know, being able to, cause I'm very, very, and I think it's cause I have ADHD really, really difficult. I mean, as you guys will notice was you're watching this, I skip from like topic to topic and you'll ask a question and I'll go off on a tangent and I'll answer <laughs> the question. Um, but I've been able to use that as an advantage because once I 
create a goal or identify a vision that I have for my life, I'm going to achieve it. But it's, it's like, what at, at what cost is, is that achievement going to come? Hmm. So your, your question was, what, is, what do I struggle with most right now? And it's, yeah. it's time management. And it's being able to pursue my dreams and my aspirations that I have right now and, and still be the husband and the father that, um, that I know I should be. So for me, you know, it's, it's, there's components of passion that I have in my life. You know, my faith my family, fitness, and philanthropy, and in that order, and I need to make sure that I am investing the same amount of time, energy, effort into each one of those, because when I set a goal for myself, like, I have tunnel vision, you know, I eliminate everything else that I, that is in my, my vision path, I have no periphery, it's, it's only what I'm looking at right now, and it's good that I have found people in my life that, you know, pull me away from my goals, really, you know, not that they're distracting me, but they're like, Hey, you know, don't forget you have a wife and kid over here. or Hey, don't forget that you're committed to this or you're committed to that. And, uh, it's good. So, I mean, you've met Katie, Katie's my, uh, my assistant, really the only person that I have that working for me and, um, without her, without my wife, without my best friend, Jackie, I would just be a goal achieving machine, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get fulfillment because I wouldn't be a dad and a father that, that I should be. So I'm super thankful for the women that I have in my life. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I had the good fortune of, um, during our workout, your wife was present and it was, that was another thing that actually struck me to be, to be frank is, you know, like you said, you're not, you're not off playing golf. You're not off, you know, you're, 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 you're going to get a workout in. But I thought, and I, you know, I don't know how often you know, your wife works out with you, but I thought it was so cool because I haven't seen a lot of partners working out together. Um, and it was just really, it was amazing to see you guys push each other and balance each other out. How, how does, I also love the fact that you included faith and philanthropy in, in your goals in terms of what you find fulfilling. How is your family, because um, this is something we touched upon a little bit earlier, how is your family playing into how you're looking at your life in terms of balancing out the new chapter, which mm-hmm. is which is the entrepreneurial chapter post right. NFL. Um, there's so many, you know, and I'm, you're, you're crushing it on social media. But you know, without saying names, there's definitely people advocating on social media for just like um, hustle. And by the way, that's not necessarily bad. I would say that you hustle probably harder than almost anyone I've ever met. Mm-hmm. But what strikes me is you also balance that with with your with your your faith in your family. Mm-hmm. How do you? Do you have any, and I'm sure it's a work in progress, no one's perfect, but how do you, how do you keep yourself as a planner and a, and a goal crusher? Mm-hmm. How do you keep those things in balance as much as possible? Um, my wife is really, really a big part of that because, you know, as I said, I eliminate all other, I call them distractions, but they're not distractions. Like my kids are not distractions. Right. But from achieving my goals, they're a distraction. You know what I mean? And so it's, um, for me, my wife will support me pursuing my dreams and my aspirations, but also kind of be that tap, tap, tap on your shoulder and like, Hey, you know, I know it's a goal of you for you to take your daughters on a date, you know, each one of them on a date every single month. And they'll be, Hey, it's, you know, it's been four weeks. It's time to take, you know, Carney or Rara or JJ out on a date. And, um, I would forget that if I didn't have a reminder in my phone or an alert go off on my watch, because that's not, a focus of mine, but it is a priority. Mm. So, um, technology has been really good for me to kind of pull me away from chasing my dreams because, um, without that reminder coming from my wife or coming from my, coming from Siri saying, Hey Steve, you said you're going to take your daughter out on a date this week. So it's Thursday. It's time to do that. Um, I would never do it because I'm so focused on, on building what I'm trying to build right now. And, I want my legacy to be remembered. I want to become so impactful and so successful at what I'm building right now that people completely forget that I played in the NFL. Mm. And that's a difficult thing to do. But, you know, when I was in the NFL, I wanted to become so impactful and so uh, impressive as uh, a fitness influencer that it kind of transcended the fact that I was a punter because that's the least sexy position 
on a football field. Mm-hmm. And nobody grows up and goes to the backyard and is like, hey, man, I'm in the Super Bowl, and, I, and I'm, they're not pretending like they're punting in the Super Bowl. Right. Nobody wants to do that. You know what I mean? And I, that's okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't do it either. I was catching touchdowns and throwing touchdowns when I was in the backyard in the Super Bowl. But in order to – the first thing people think of when they think – when they hear your name is not – Football, that's a really hard thing to overcome because being in the NFL is, it's a big deal. You know, it's very polarizing. And for me to kind of overcome that and the first thing people think of is, man, he's incredibly motivating or he's inspiring or, you know, did you see what he did when he, you know, did this or that instead of, you know, Super Bowl champion, the NFL and all that stuff. That's a big, that's a big chore uh, to be able to do. But uh, I've been able um, up until this point to transcend the position of punter and now I'm trying to transcend the NFL mm. um, and it's not an ego driven thing because for me it's I never dreamed of being a punter so for me to be able to transcend that it's not a big deal because playing in the NFL was what I did not who I was mm-hmm. um, and I've been able up until this point to kind of leverage my career in the NFL leveraged the fact that I was a part of an NFL world champion team to be able to get doors open to me so I can do what I'm really passionate about. And that's motivating and inspiring people to achieve more than what they think they're capable of. Mm. So on that note, in terms of your legacy, because I think that there's a really a beautiful distinction, which you just evoked in me, which is resume goals and eulogy goals. And so I think most of our society operates um, on the notion of asking first off, what do you do, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there's this notion of actually what we do stems from first and foremost who we are. Mm-hmm. And it's, un- it's unquestionable that you um, are a football player, a driven, high-performing athlete. But it also occurs to me that there's other aspects of who you are, who Steve Weatherford is, mm-hmm. that are more enduring than what you did. Uh, right. And so I guess in the, in the context of your legacy, which as I've um, gotten to know you is, is going to be about touching many, many people's lives and having a profound impact. But if you were to say, look at, at your tombstone, you know, many, hopefully many, many years down the road, um, what will you hope that your legacy is? What, what do you hope that you, your life uh, will have achieved for other people? Um, I want my son, I want my son to use me as a baseline to, not as an athlete, but as a, as a person that, that leveraged harder than anybody else. So I brought him to the gym with me ever since he was six months old and he literally grew up in the gym and it wasn't because one day I want him to be the fittest man in pro sports, it's because I wanted him to see what investment was required in order for me to become the best in the world at what I did. So um, once he sees, and he's seen it, once he sees all of the hard work, you know, the months and months and years and, you know, thousands of hours that were invested for me to become the best in the world, that's great. But then that's only a piece of the puzzle. Then for me to leverage being one of the best in the world at my chosen profession to impact other people's lives, whether it's, you know, every year I take about 25 kids to prom that can't afford to go. Um, and I take my son and my daughter, my oldest daughter and my son, I take them with me as well. And it's not because I want them to go to prom. It's, I want them to see other people benefit from my hard work. Mm. So the thousands of hours of grind that it took me to become the best in the world of my profession and, you know, generate the money that I generated, but then to take the notoriety that I earned and the finances that I earned and leverage that to give someone the opportunity to go to their senior prom because they can't afford it. You think about, you know, what is one of the most memorable times of your life in general? And it's your senior prom because that's the culmination of your childhood friendships and an achievement of graduating from high school. And for some young adults at 17, 18 years old, not to be able to go to their senior prom uh, because they can't afford it. It's not their fault. They're going to school or they're going to school. So they, they can't have a job to, to pay for their own prom. 
So for them to not go is, it's a travesty, you know, mm-hmm. and they'll never have another opportunity to go to a senior prom. You only get one chance. So for me to be able to kind of leverage the hard work and the money that I've generated and the notoriety that I've generated, a lot of the times, uh, last year I took 45 kids to prom and it's about $500 a kid. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of money. However, I did have to come out of pocket about $7,000, which in the grand scheme of things, $7,000 to take almost 50 kids to prom isn't that much money, but it actually cost about $40,000. But I was able to leverage my celebrity and, and my achievements to get a lot of the services and the tuxedo rentals and the, and the, the cars and the dinner and the corsages and all. I was able to leverage my celebrity and leverage my social media by telling people, hey, if you guys donate 15 tuxedos to these kids so they can go to prom, like, you know, I'll put, I'll put some marketing material on social media. And they're like, oh, absolutely. And some of them didn't even, some of them refused hmm. the barter of social media mentions for services because they just loved what I was doing and they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to feel like they're leveraging their own success um, as an entrepreneur, whether that's, you know, a flower shop or, um, you know, a restaurant or whatever the case may be. They wanted, so I was also inspiring other entrepreneurs to leverage their success to impact other people. So And giving. Yeah. So, you know, it's a really good feeling to... um, inspire people, but it's also equally as fulfilling to, to give a gift to someone that they only have one opportunity to do in their life. And it, it all really kind of started when I moved here, uh, in 2009, there was a big storm. I mean, I think everybody in America remembers her, the Superstorm Sandy. Yeah. And, uh, thousands of people were, lost their homes and lost tons of tangible things, their home, their clothes, their cars. And, um, so I went out there and and delivered, you know, a couple hundred lunches and and waters to the first responders. And I'm looking at all these homes and, and FEMA and the Red Cross were out there and they were trying to replace cars and homes and all these tangible things that these families had lost, but nobody was doing anything to replace the life experiences that these kids were going to miss out on Mm -hmm. because nobody thinks about that. You know, they're trying to replace the the necessities, you know, the food, the the houses, the clothes. Um, And I thought that, you know, everybody jumped into action to replace those, but nobody was jumping into action to replace the life experiences that a lot of these kids were missing out on. And there's no more memorable life experience than senior prom. So that's when Project Prom was born hmm. uh, for me. And so I've done that for the last, this will be the sixth year coming up. And uh, this year is going to be extra special because I'm actually sponsoring um, Project Prom will be at a school about 35 minutes from here. And it's a it's a school for um, special kids, you know, so it could be autism, it could be cerebral palsy, it, you know, special kids. And so, um, yeah, I've got 35 kids that I'm getting tuxedos and dresses for and, uh, and their prom, I think there's only a hundred people at this, at this prom that I'm going to go to, but 35 of them are going to be sponsored by project prom. And, um, one of the fun things about it is, is I do more than just, you know, give tuxedos and corsages and dresses and hair and nails. I actually go and I, I, I freaking, I crush the dance, I crush the dance floor. I love it. Prom's a whole lot more fun when you're 34 than, <laughs> than when you're 18 because if you get on top of the table and you start dancing, principal doesn't say anything. No, of course you know, not. That's he's right. not kicking me out. No, no. You, not, not the leader of Project Prom. I love that. So, it's been a lot of fun. So, because that actually hits on something you mentioned earlier, which, which I, I actually think experiences... There's, a, there's actually two different things, and I'll, I'll, I'll take them one at a time. But um, the notion of how powerful experiences can be, and I remember you talking to me in the car about how um, how central it was for you to have your son uh, with you when you won that Super Bowl. Yeah. Can you can you describe a little bit um, one what the experience was like, sort of in lead up to the Super Bowl in terms of your your mindset, but two like what it was actually like the feeling of. Um, of what it was like to hold your son um, mm-hmm. after, you know. After so I always Bowl. thought, um, I always thought, you know, man, if I ever win the Super Bowl, I am going to get so hammered and party so hard 
after I win. And, uh, and it was really funny. You know, we, it was Super Bowl 46 was 47 miles from my own hometown. And everybody in the world was, you know, for the most part, 72 million people. That's not everybody in the world, but 72 million people watched that game. I had the greatest performance of my life and the biggest game of my life. And after the game, I remember meeting um, my grandma, my mom, and my dad, and my brothers, and my sister. And we're out on the field, confetti's coming down on our head, and Al Roker's interviewing me, and it's just like, it's surreal, you know? And I'm holding my son, and there's cameras everywhere. And, and we, we leave the field, and we go to the Giants, like, post-game party. And, uh, you know, it's a private party. Nobody else can, can be there except for friends and family and players and coaches. And, and I remember going to grab um, a Bud Light. And I drink one Bud Light. And I remember looking at my wife. And she's like, do you want me to go get you another one? I'm like, no. She's like, what? And I'm like, I don't want to feel any different than mm. the way that I feel right now. Um, and it was, that was the greatest high that you can ever have. And it's, you know, I've had four kids and I've had some... <laughs> It's pretty amazing moments in my life, but that moment was a culmination of like so many sacrifices, so many um, people investing in me to be able to have the opportunity to play in the game. But not only did I play in the game, I had the the greatest game of my life and the greatest performance anybody at my position has ever had. You know, set Super Bowl records and stuff like that. So it's um, it made that whole. Um, experience just very very special I mean the guys Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels who are the guys that do the Super Bowl and I remember at halftime I was having such a great game that usually nobody ever mentions the punter I get it you know I'm not I'm not um, ignorant to the fact that there's a lot of games I don't influence that much but at halftime of the Super Bowl Al Michaels says, you know what? I don't think I've ever said this before. I don't think I'll ever say it again. But if we voted for a Super Bowl MVP right now, it would be the punter, Steve Weatherford. I, like, <laughs> I, didn't, know, I didn't know he said it at the time. Yeah. Uh, but then you go back and you watch the TV copy of the game, and I'm like, did he really just say that? You know, Nobody mentions the punter in their post-game interview, but our quarterback, Eli Manning, and our head coach both mentioned um, – my performance and my contribution to them, to you know, to our team winning, um, and it was 47 miles from my hometown, you know, 47 miles from where I used to be 108 pounds, and you know, on the B team of the freshman team. So uh, to see things come, not even full circle, just a lot of opportunities were opened up to me because I had a vision for myself, and I didn't let outside influences stop me from from pursuing it. I remember having a conversation with my dad when I was 16 and I told him what I was going to do with my life and I remember making him laugh hmm. you know and so um, you know when I had enough money and I could buy my parents something I bought my mom a car not my dad <laughs> <laughs> if there was one she didn't giggle at me no I, I'm sure she did not uh, but I also uh, acknowledge because we talked about that and how important family is um how, how, how your relationship with your father was also a driver for you and your yeah. success and him showing up and coaching your He's games. He's an amazing, amazing dad. Um, everything you could want in a dad, you know, um, from a role model standpoint are things that I, I try to do for my kids. Yeah. Always made time for us. Um, and I'm, I would say for me right now, today, I feel like that is the place that uh, if I'm failing in anything, that's what I'm failing. I don't think I'm failing. I, I am a great dad. I'm a great husband. But if I'm failing in anything, it's not as an entrepreneur. Uh, it's not as, a, as an influencer. Um, it's not as a philanthropist. It's, it's as a father. And I don't think I'm ever going to be as good enough a father as of what I want to be. You know, I, just, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But I think that's, that's a good thing. What, but what, I want to not dig too deep on that, but I do want to touch on it. Um, what, what, do you, what are the qualities you feel of an ideal father that you would like to exemplify? Well, I think in order to become the best in the world at anything, you have to be selfish. Mm. Um, nobody ever wants to hear that, and people won't admit it. LeBron won't admit that he's selfish. Um, Tony Robbins won't admit that he's selfish. But I firmly believe that in order to become the best in the world or the best that's ever lived, that what you do, 
you have to be self-centered and you have to be selfish. Hmm. Um, in order to be a great dad, you have to be selfless hmm. um, and you have, to, you have to serve. And so I've become so conditioned because naturally, innately, I'm a self-centered, selfish person. But that has helped me become the best in the world at what I chose to do. And now I'm kind of, there's a paradigm shift of, and I think that's probably because that's probably one of the reasons I am as philanthropic as what I am because I'm trying to make up. Mm. Maybe in my mind, I'm trying to make up for how selfish I am by blessing other people with my, with my success. Mm. So maybe I'll be able to sleep better at night because I'm so selfish the majority of the time. If I can be really, really selfless a couple times per year, maybe that'll help me sleep better at night. You know what I mean? So it's, it's weird, but it's a mental struggle that I have because... Um, you know, you look at the best in the game and I'm not just talking about sports. I'm talking about life, mm. the, the best ever, the people that will remember and the people that will be remembered forever. Look at Steve jobs. He was so selfish mm-hmm. on his deathbed. You know, his regrets weren't that he should have come out with iOS seven earlier, or right. he should have done this or that. He wish he would have spent more time with his family. Mm-hmm. You know, if that doesn't, cause he, he didn't just make a bunch of money. He changed planet Earth. Totally. You know? I mean, we look at all these different devices that we're recording on. Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs influenced every one of them. Regardless if they say Apple on them or not, he changed the game. He changed the way that that life is captured, the way life is lived. And and his regrets were he didn't spend enough time with his family. Um, But he would not have influenced humans and, and earth and, and life the way that he would have if he would have spent more time with his family, but he would have died a happier man. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm struggling to find the amount of influence and impact that, that will give me fulfillment. But really at the end of the day, I don't want to be Steve Jobs mm-hmm. and die with regrets. Mm. You know, That's so powerful uh, because I think most people look to success and you've achieved in the conventional uh, sense, already at 34, you know, uh, multi seven eight. I don't even know, but figures in terms of your your income. You, you it's even, really easy to find out. Just Google my first. <laughs> it's fourteen million dollars. There you go. Uh, so you've achieved eight figures, and at the same time, you had I know from our conversations, you know, you had two and a half million dollars easily right in front of you, and you and you actually walked away. Mm-hmm. And I know from our conversation as well that. Part of your commitment. That was even, one of the easiest decisions ever made, though. Yeah. I never thought in my Why life. Why was it easy? Why I would was have it easy? Two and a half million dollars sitting in front of me, and say no thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's two reasons, because I had saved enough money to, mm-hmm. per, you know, that my family was taken care of, um, and you know, at a very basic level, I had financial freedom, um, and I was weighing the option: okay, is this two and a half million dollars that I can make this season going to change my lifestyle mm-hmm. and give me fulfillment? And the answer was no. Um, and the, the, the other thing on the, on the side of what I'm weighing was, you know, if I say no to this, will this bring me more, more fulfillment? And that it was not even close. So the next question that I asked my, my family was, you know, I asked my son and I asked my wife what they thought. And my son was like, well, do you think you'll be home more? And I was like, yeah, buddy, I'll be home more. He's like, then, yeah, then retire, you know? Because um, most little boys, if you ask them, hey, do you want daddy to play in the NFL or not play in the NFL? would be like, dad, play in the NFL, yeah. you know? But he, that's all he had, he had ever known, you know? He was born, I was in my second year in the NFL, and that's when he was born. So literally, that is all he's ever known was me on TV and me, you know, going to restaurants and people coming up to me and asking for selfies, and that's totally normal for him. <laughs> so I was uh, I was in San Diego in the off season and um, dropped the kids off. I think I only had three at the time. So I had my son uh, was five at the time. My daughter was three, and then my uh, and then Rara was one. Drop them off at Sunday school. We go to church. We come back from church. And this is a church we'd never gone before. We'd gone like two or three times before that. And I nobody knew that I played football or anything, which was the way that I preferred it. You know, I just wanted to go to church and, mm-hmm. you know, worship and get the message and leave. 
And I picked him up from Sunday school, and we asked the teachers, like, oh, you know, how was he? And they're like, oh, he was so good, but it was, it was strange. He was walking throughout Sunday school and asking the other kids, like, what NFL team their daddy played for? You know, <laughs> because that's all he, that's all he knew. Like, right. he, he just thought that dads played in the NFL and yeah. moms were moms, you know. Um, and it wasn't until that point that I realized, like, he's living a different life than other kids. Not because he lives in a different house or his parents drive a certain car, um, but that was normal to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I never met a professional athlete until I was, I want to say, like 18 years old. And I never even shook anybody's hand. I never, I never went to an NFL game until I played in one. So he's been to hundreds. Um, and it's, it's the different lifestyles. And so I'm hopeful that the life that he lives doesn't take away from his motivation to achieve. Mm. You know, so my wife, um, it makes her so happy to, you know, to get shoes and clothes and things that my kids want. And I have to keep reminding her, I'm like, I know that makes you feel happy, but don't give them too much because then they're not going to be motivated to earn on their own. You know, it's kind of, you know, you hear like the trust fund babies. Sure. Now, I'm not freaking, I didn't make $50 million. I made enough money that I'm comfortable. I can drive what I want to drive, live where I want to live within reason. I don't fly private jets or anything like that. Um, we're comfortable. We live, we live a, a comfortable lifestyle, but it's, I don't want, I don't want that to take away from how hungry my kids are. Right. Um, and so for me, for my, especially for my son, because my son, I'm hopeful when he grows up and he has a family of his own, he's going to take great pride in being a provider for yeah. his family. Um, and I'm not saying my daughters can't do that either. I'm not putting limitations on them, but you know, my son is going to be a great provider the, the way that I feel like I'm a great provider. And I want him to have the same hunger and tenacity for, for reaching his goals. And I don't care how much money he makes. I want him to provide for his family and and do what he's passionate about. He could be a yoga teacher. I don't care, but he better be the best yoga teacher that he can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't. I don't want how we raise our children to impact how motivated they are in a in a negative standpoint. So I, she gets fulfillment from making them happy. When because my son is like me. He's a he loves shoes. Sure. And so when we go to the mall, if he's if I'm not with them and. He sees a pair of shoes that he wants. He can be very convincing to his mom. And she <laughs> loves to see him smile. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm trying to impress upon her. You know how much happier he'll be when he gets those shoes if you make him earn it. Mm. You know, whether that's doing chores around the house or whatever the case may be. Every time he puts those shoes on because he earned them, he's going to look at, look at those shoes and remember everything he had to do in order to earn them. So it's not necessarily the shoes when he puts them on his feet that makes him happy. It's all of the grind that it took in order to earn those shoes because there's two types of happiness. There's framework happiness and there's instant gratification happiness. You know, framework happiness comes from, you know, setting a goal and practicing self-denial and self-discipline and consistency. And it over time, you achieve happiness by the sense of fulfillment the the grind gives you. Mm. You know, just because you're nine years old doesn't mean doesn't mean you can't draw fulfillment from the grind. You know, it's you know it's a here's a good example. You know, I could tomorrow you could say you know this is my dream car. I could buy that dream car for you, and you would be the happiest person on planet Earth in that car. But after about a month that instant gratification will start to fade away because the newness of that tangible thing will go away. But if you have to earn that car and it takes you 10 years to save up the money to buy that car, every single time you get in that car, you're going to be reminded of everything you had to do in order to purchase that car. Mm-hmm. So that, that framework happiness will continue um, to remind you every time you sit in those bucket seats and that leather hugs you, you'll be a reminder of everything you had to do in order to earn that car. But if somebody just buys it for you, then, you know, as, as soon as that, the, the new car smell starts to fade away, so will the happiness that you got when, you know, when it was given to you. So I try to remind my, my wife of that. 
I, uh, I love that, that framework. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on in listening to you, uh, both here and what we were working out, was the notion, and this comes actually from our, our initial point of contact, which is our good friend Lewis House, mm-hmm. uh, who's an incredible human uh, and has had a huge impact on my life. But one of the conversations I've been having with him, and I know the, the, the focus of his new book is around this notion of uh, masculinity and mm-hmm. kind of a new mo- notion of masculinity. One of the things that struck me most was your commitment to taking your daughters on the on the mm-hmm. on the daddy daughter dates before school, um, and the way that you lit up when you talked about holding your son when you won that that mm-hmm. Super Bowl. What do you? What does it mean to be? And I think this is especially relevant because I think the notion of what it means to be a man is changing in our in our time. Yeah. But men especially look to uh, the altar of the NFL oftentimes. Um, but as someone who has performed at the highest level and is now looking to reinvent themselves and is already on a successful trajectory in that realm, mm-hmm. um, both as an entrepreneur, as a father, uh, a philanthropist, a man of service, um, what do you think are the tenets for masculinity as, as you look at it? And how would you like to be seen by your son if, if you were, or your daughters, um, say, 30 years from now? Um, to me, it it's that's a tough question that's a deep question because you know you touched on it a little bit in saying um you know you're viewed in the nfl and that's like a man's game you know Mm. and for the most part the the individuals that compete in the national football league are genetically cut from a different cloth Mm. you know regardless of the way that they train or the way that they eat they're going to be bigger, faster, stronger human beings than the other 99% of people that walk planet Earth. Um, and masculinity in an NFL locker room, testosterone levels are high. You know, that is like, there's a lot of bravado. There's a lot of ego. And um, you can get lost in all of that. Because sure. there's always going to be somebody that's bigger, faster, stronger within that locker room. So there's a lot of gorillas walking around with their chest <laughs> pumped out. I can um, but for me, having daughters has been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me because it helps me to see life through a different scope. Mm. And uh, I think masculinity, to me, means doing the right thing regardless of what other people's opinion are of the way you execute what is called your life. Um, so, And that's a hard thing to do, especially the way I live my life, because the way I live my life is like through social media. You know, the, my Snapchat essentially is a video diary of what I do every single day. And um, people judge that. You know, they judge it positively and they judge it negatively. You know, I don't have nearly as many people trolling my social media as a lot of other social media influencers because I think you attract the energy that you project. And so I try every single day to project as much positivity and motivation as possible, but still keeping it authentic because there are some days where I just don't have it. You Mm -hmm. wake up, brush your teeth, you say your three gratitudes and some days it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're just not feeling it. And, um, and I try to share those days as well. Yeah. And, and I think sharing your successes and sharing your failures and being authentic and organic on social media uh, is endearing, you know. So masculinity for me is doing doing what needs to be done and providing for your family, but also not worrying about the judgment of others. And it's, it's a difficult line to toe for me because there's always going to be people judging you. And I'd be lying to you if I said people's opinion of me doesn't matter because it does. And... Um, and so that's, it's a difficulty for me, but it's not nearly as difficult as, as my main struggle and that's time management. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, I'm more focused on time management than I am the, uh, the opinion, influencing the opinion people have of me. What's interesting is Snapchat inherently disappears. Yeah. So if I think 30 years down the road, I'm thinking to myself, it's amazing actually, because you, you said a few things that, that resonated. One is authenticity. Two is sort of the tension between not caring, mm-hmm. um, but we do genuinely care oftentimes more than we'd like to admit, but not letting that uh, impinge upon your commitment to how you show up. Mm -hmm. And what I think probably will be the case um, 
the way that you do show up, even above and beyond for those who have the privilege to get to know you personally. Um, I feel like everybody screen. on social media like pretty much knows me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one thing I like because I'm not as concerned with growing my audience to millions of people. I'm more concerned with like depth of, of relationships. So I would rather a thousand people on social media feel like they have a real relationship with me. Mm-hmm. So essentially I'm in it for, for depth, not breadth. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I want to, I want to have a very meaningful, deep relationship with the people on social media. And that could only be a thousand people. I would rather have a meaningful, deep relationship with a thousand people than a million people know my name. Yeah. You know, I, I love it. Final few questions. Um, what is the one thing that if you added to your life and the one thing that if you took away from your life, you think you would have them that would have the most profound transform transformative impact on your life? One thing you would add more time in the day. Yeah. And my family. Yeah. So if I had more time in the day, I feel like that would really impact my life. And if you took my family away, that would, I wouldn't have a reason to live. Yeah. So your core, I mean, at your core is ostensibly your family. I need more time and I need my family. So your core, so your core values, what would you say your core values are? Yeah. Same thing as my components of passion, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my faith, my family, um, fitness, health and wellness and philanthropy in that order. What does the next year look like for Steve Weatherford in terms of a you blur. <laughs> I can tell, I can tell by the way we worked out. It's going to be a blur to try to keep up. Yeah. I mean, I would say, and this is not, this is not, uh, exaggerating at all in 2016. And I'm not proud of it. I'm looking back on it now. Like I can giggle about it a little bit, but I averaged probably about four hours of sleep mm-hmm. every night. Um, I worked, I took one day off the entire year. I worked every freaking Sunday. I worked every, every single Saturday. Um, and I'm not, I'm not proud of that either because I told my wife January 1st of 2016, I said, this is going to be the hardest year of our marriage. If we can make it through this, we can make it through anything. And I'm in marriage counseling once a week. Mm. You know what I mean? It was tough. You know, looking back on it, I'm glad I did it. I wish I would have done a few things differently. I wish I would have taken off one day per week and, and, you know, eliminated all of the work stuff. Um, But, you know, as we talked about, you know, I could say, well, I'm going to take today off. And then I would end up working for six hours. Mm. You know, I would wait until the kids would go to sleep. And then at eight o'clock, I would work until three o'clock in the morning. I took, I I had way too many all-nighters. Um, I didn't sleep enough, you know, for somebody who preaches health and wellness, I didn't take care of my body. I mean, I ate well and I worked out well, I didn't sleep enough. You know, I mean, there's, there's pillars of health and wellness, nutrition, physical activity and rest. And I didn't take enough rest. I ate well, um, and I trained every day, but I did not sleep enough. And so for somebody who's supposed to be like the, you know, iconic figure of health and wellness, I wasn't, Mm. you know, but, um, I learned a lot about myself as an entrepreneur because I'd never tried to sell anything. I'd never built any businesses. I'd never made a dollar from anything other than my, my physical abilities. And when I say physical abilities, that includes public speaking and and appearances like that. So aside from, from football and, you know, public speaking, I've never made a dollar um, from any other facet and in 2016, I learned probably three or four years worth of experiences in one year. And now I'm trying to repair relationships, you know? And so my marriage is great. However, um, I'm in marriage counseling for my wife to tell me what I did wrong. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And, and, you know, she's a little bit jaded because she, she feels like I chose that over the family for a year and and I'm not defending myself, but you're really just trying to explain, listen, the reason I did all these things is because I wanted to get everything done in a year. And now that the foundation is laid, now I can start to, you know, I can start to say, Hey, today is all about family. And today is all about my wife. And today, 
and that has afforded me ability to do that, but <clears throat> I need to hire some people to mm. micromanage a lot of what I'm doing right now, like editing film or, you know, this, that, the other. So I'm, I've been interviewing people for possible like COO positions of what I'm doing right now um, because I want to spend my time doing things that nobody else can do. Mm. And there's a lot of different components of my business and what I'm building that nobody else can do for me. Um, I need to start trusting people a little bit more to, to do those things. And even if they don't do a good, as good a job of what I'm, what I would do, at least that still affords me the time to, to spend with my family without having work influence any of that. So more time with the family, more rest. Yeah, um, not even just more time with the family, better time with the family. Better quality. Because well, I worked from home all of 2016, so technically I was home, but I was the president. Mm. There's a big difference. But you, you did draw the distinction when we were, because we're actually at your office now. This was one of the commitments you made mm -hmm. to having higher quality. So when I leave here at five o'clock, yeah. I mean, I might do a little Snapchatting when I'm at home, but I think it's important for me to share that part of my life as well. Um, but yeah, when I go home, there's no work. Yep. I so. love that. Well, I want to take a moment just to acknowledge you, uh, Steve, because it's you. we didn't know each other very well. Um, you knew the caliber of my relationship with Lewis, mm -hmm. uh, who you're also close to. But to me, it says a lot about you that you were willing to carve out a significant portion of, I know, an incredibly busy day. On a Monday. On a Monday. I can also say that um, I'm going to walk away from today with some profoundly enduring lessons, which I hope that will be valuable for other, other people. But the one part that wasn't necessarily shared in this conversation was... You know, you learn more about who people are by who they, how they show up, right? Their, their being as opposed to their doing. And being with you in the gym, seeing how you showed up uh, in terms of your level of commitment, your tenacity, like your wherewithal, um, it, was, it, was, it was truly a, a lesson for me in terms of how I want to show up, how I want to be consistent through a beginning to end to a workout as a metaphor for life. Mm -hmm. um, the way that you were willing to be open and vulnerable about your father, about your journey with your kids, about um, you know, what it means to be a family man, a, mm -hmm. a man to take, to take risks, to redefine yourself you know, after being successful to like actually walk away and, and, and start over again. Um, and just to the degree to which I know you identify as selfish and I know that you're not saying that in jest, but the selflessness with which I think you show up through your commitment to achieving will have profound and enduring legacy, uh, both on myself and others. And so I really appreciate want you. to acknowledge you for taking Thank the you. time, man. I really appreciate you. Thank you. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing more of you, especially as there, you There will you. be more <laughs> between the hours of 7 a.m. and 5 p.m. Yes, man. All right. I love it. Thank, Thank you, Steve. You. Appreciate you. And there you have it. Absolutely epic interview with uh, my man, Steve Weatherford. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please uh, tag at Weatherford5 and at Michael Trainer and share with us what you got from the episode, where you're listening. Uh, it would also mean the world to me if you went ahead and left a, uh, a review, a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. If you, if you got value out of the episode, really looking to see the podcast grow and your, uh, your positive feedback means the world to me. So I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode. I hope that you're having a wonderful day. And with that, please go out there and live your inspired life.